HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to heritageradionetwork.org. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's August 28, 2012, and I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43. We've got a great show tonight for you. Uh, thank you to GreatBrewers.com, our sponsor. Check out the Beer Cloud, a mobile app to help you locate your favorite beers. And also, we're supported by the people at the Good Beer Seal, an association of 41 New York City beer bars. Check it out at GoodBeerSeal.com. Well, we have a special show for you tonight. Uh, our long friend and early co-host, Sam Merritt from Civilization of Beer, is back, Yay. back in New York. Welcome back, Sam. Thanks a lot. You know, there's always something uh, so interesting about what you do. Uh, You had worked at Brooklyn Brewery for a long time, uh, and you've been a beer educator um, and a consultant for many years. Um, What news is is coming up for you in fall uh, with Civilization of Beer? Well, Civilization of Beer turns seven uh, next month, and that's, to me, uh, more important than the decade milestone since we've done a decade's worth of work, I think, in seven years with this thing. So uh, we're expanding civilization of beer into other markets. Uh, We're going to have personnel in other markets. Uh, I've been doing the the country side here now for quite some time on my own, and and having the kid now being away from the family is a little different. Uh, So, so, uh, yeah, we're we're expanding uh, our personnel uh, out into uh, the northwest and also uh, a little bit further into the east, and uh, it's going to be really great. So, yeah, we're just growing and growing as we usually do. Well, there's a great schedule I have. Uh, you doing a class, uh, regular classes you do at Institute of Culinary Education. You used to do uh, a Cicerone 101 at Jimmy's number 43. Mm-hmm. Um, what is Cooking by the Book? 
So it's a it's a really nice uh, private cooking space down in Tribeca. They fit about twenty five people in for cooking classes, and they have beautiful ranges. and It's just a really nice setup in there. They started the business twenty five years ago, uh, just getting people together and cooking the same recipe. And uh, it's grown quite a bit. They do a lot of corporate and private stuff. So we're doing a little season with them. Uh, some beer versus wine stuff and some some other really fun things and we're culminating the season in a in a brewing class uh, we're going to be using our friends from brooklyn brew shops kits and and uh there'll be a bunch of us brewing right before the super bowl so you know lots of good classes lots of fun fun things we're doing so for fall check out uh, civilization of there's a lot of great events going on and uh sam's quote is an educated beer seller is a better beer seller Always, always. So you work a lot with uh, wholesalers too, don't you? I do. I travel uh, a lot to the, you know, there's about 2,000 wholesalers, so a lot of them uh, are being very proactive. But yeah, you know, I find myself Woo! in <laughs> Speaking of active in, uh, you know, South Dakota in, in January, uh, living the high life out there with them. Well, that's an interesting angle for our show. We're also joined by Chris Kuzme, good friend, uh, president of many homebrew groups and uh, part of Wander Star Brewery. Uh, welcome, Chris. Thank you very so much. It's always good Jimmy. to have you on. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about wholesalers. Um, so you're you're part of Wandering Star Brewing yeah. Company, and uh, tell us about what what you've gone through in that process. You have a wholesale distributor in New York. Yeah, there's a three tier system. We're not allowed to. Or we're, each state is allowed to make its own rules of whether uh, whether breweries are allowed to self distribute. In most states, breweries are allowed to self distribute, but to cross state lines, you have to have a distributor. So it goes from from the brewery to a distributor, then to the point of sale to the retail. And for us, uh, we signed pretty early on to get into New York City, and we have a great distributor, Union Beer Distributors. Uh, I think who's also a sponsor of this show. Yes, greatbrewers.com. Um, yes, yes. That's right. <laughs> and uh, it's been relatively easy because you have a distributor but you still have to be out there on the ground as as the brewer and have your own staff to really kind of push it push the brand itself and and just market it and be there all right well see, uh, sam the reason i mentioned that is you said you're, you're going to be working uh with there's a wholesale conference coming up yeah the national beer wholesalers uh, association conference is holding it in uh in san diego in october and so you know they all send people there and and that's a chance for them to work on their game a little bit, especially uh, bringing on, you know, types of breweries that Chris has now and, and uh, you know, the 2,000 other breweries that are now on board. Uh, you know, they're still in uh, the mode of change. You know, the, the, the craft beer movement is still uh, being reacted to over the years uh, with them. So it's, it's nice we're doing, a, you know, a nice seminar for them to talk to them about how they can get more involved in their communities as the breweries in their communities have and, and step up and have an identity as far as, you know, these are the guys with the great beer list. And, oh, yeah, they also sponsor, you know, brewing contests and support, you know, local 501c3s and everything. But a lot of the time um, the, the distributors haven't really had an identity. And so that's something that we're working on for them. Great. All right. Well, um, what, what beer are we drinking? We want to talk a little more about the beers that we drink on the show because we do drink a lot of beer on the show. So this is the Ur Continent from Dogfish Head, and uh, the 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 idea behind this is that you know we all came from one continent, an original continent before the tectonic uh, shift, and so this uses ingredients from all of the continents. Um, and so Ur, you know, is uh, original Urkel and things like this. Uh, you know, Ur is a very good, Urbach uh, is, a, is a good uh, prefix for beer and things because it means original. So they're, they're paying tribute to the fact that we were all, 
you know, on this one piece of rock at first, you know. Do they have something from Antarctica? Um, you know, they usually write a lot about it, but here's here's the the reason I got it because I don't know anything that's in it, so that's why I got it because I don't know what wattle seed is, amaranth, ruibos, Marica gale, but I do know what honey is, and that's the last uh, special. <laughs> so it has those things and honey, and I I think I might taste them all, but I don't know what they are. What, so what's the name of the beer again? I've looked it's up called, wattle seed. Oh, you have good. I have amaranth this. is a grain. Oh, there we go. We're wattle getting... seed represents Australia. It's a from it's a term to describe the edible seeds from around 120 species of Australian acacia. Mm. Ah, acacia, mm-hmm. which is a pretty interesting plant. If you chew on the flowers of that plant, your your whole <laughs> oh. deal Uh-oh. gets numb. Right, there's one more guy here you know too. Where this is going. Wait, Jackson <laughs> Jackson Landers is here too. We're going to talk about his book, Eating Aliens. So there's three of us, four of us here: Jackson Landers, Sam Merritt, Chris Guzman, and me, Jimmy Carboni. So we're going to talk a little bit. This beer is pretty awesome, actually. Mm. It's real nice. It's complicated. It's kind of Christmassy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Spicy. Chris, what what do you as a you're a home brewer and a brewer? Um, when you taste beers, do do you break them down in your head, or you just enjoy? I I I believe there are two kinds of beers, you know, good kind and the other kind, and you know, you can tend to overthink stuff. So I try and definitely always maintain my just just being a fan. But of course, as a brewer. And as a home brewer, I can't help but try and break things down and think about it that way. Because, like, okay, if I wanted to recreate it, how could I do that? And and uh, not being familiar int- intimately with these spices is, you know, it makes this beer an incredibly hard beer to try and think along those lines or trying to trying to break down and say, if I were going to clone this, it yeah. seems like a challenging thing to do. Yeah. And Jackson, so uh, you, you've been a home brewer. You're a lot of things. You're out there looking for uh, species at the with the the. the Limit of their uh, what do you call it turf? How do you describe what you well, do? Well, what um, what I've been doing for the last couple of years is uh, hunting, butchering, and eating invasive species. Uh, I am uh, that, that's for my uh, new book, Eating Aliens, which launches um, the first week of October two thousand twelve. Um, although I'm I've already started looking for um, just indigenous species at the far farthest parts of their natural range. Um, that may be my next book. You know, where is the farthest south moose? Where is the uh, farthest north alligator? The outliers. You know, find, exactly. And what, what, what keeps them from going a little bit further, you know? Uh, and that involves going out into the field and looking for them. But right now, I've just wrapped up this project with hunting and fishing for invasive species uh, all over the place. And the book mostly deals with, um, it entirely deals with, you know, things with parents, <laughs> animals. Uh, but I did bump into a lot of invasive plants along the way also, including invasive uh, Japanese hops, actually, which are pretty common in the, in the American South. But for some reason, nobody's even trying to brew with them. So um, tell us about I me. Mean, you're a home brewer. Uh, I am. I've been home brewing since I was uh, <laughs> 17 years old, actually. I started. I started home brewing. If I had walked home with a six pack of beer when I was in se- when I was seventeen years old, I probably would have been in a whole lot of trouble. But somehow, when I came home with a copy of Charlie Papazian's book and a glass carboy and some malt and hops and so forth, this this was okay. I think probably my parents figured the odds that you know he's gonna wind up with actual beer are pretty minimal. They probably thought, there's no way he's <laughs> cooking so something that, there's these smells there's this a, malt or something it's a science project it, I, well, and that's how I treat it and I explain well this is what I'm doing and I would say you know ask my father can you stir this for a few minutes and we're gonna add this at this point of the boil and this is what the, the, the yeast does so they're kind of learning something and they're thinking this is interesting they're still sort of doubting that this is gonna result in beer and um, 
and then it got to bottling, and I enlisted their help, you know, with with, uh, with getting everything bottled. And then when it, when it was done, were they going to look at me and say, "Well, now you can't drink your beer after we watched you and helped you make it"? And there it was, and somehow it was okay to drink this beer. But I think that probably made me a more responsible drinker as an adult, having that experience of uh, where it was like, "Okay, this is something I really worked for and spent a lot of time on. I don't want to just like quaff it down and not." Think about how it tastes, you know, and and drink irresponsibly. So maybe we I'm should better off that way. High, high school kids, <laughs> high school kids should learn how to make their own beer if they want to drink it. Absolutely, that's the moral of the story. It's yeah. not illegal to that's buy right. a brewery. <laughs> Every college quad should have a student-run brewery. Uh, mine did. Sam, <laughs> yeah, what, what, what's your uh, what's the next beer? Um, it's Omegang Beer de Algamont, I think is how you say it. It's a beer de guard, but it was aged on maple and oak uh, wood staves. So I was interested to see uh, kind of where the wood comes from with this Let's one. try this and see. Yeah. So, J- 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 and Chris, I mean, you, you've homebrewed a lot. I know that. When did you first homebrew? I first started homebrewing in 2001. And I've always wanted to live on the farm and be totally self-sufficient. But I'm a, you know, as much as I'm a, I brew and I'm involved in the beer world, I'm a musician first and and I'm never going to leave the big city because there's just not enough gigs out in the country, um, and I can't satisfy that need. But I've always wanted to be able to, you know, grow my own stuff and make my own stuff and totally live just in that thing. And so I moved to Philadelphia for a brief moment. I met uh, George and Nancy from Home Sweet Homebrew and bought my first kit, and under their tutelage, uh, made my first homebrew. And I fell instantly in love with the process, and uh, I became addicted to that. You know, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Yeah. That in between, you know, while oh, you, you put yeah. it in the fermenter, and all oh, yeah. you can do is wait. You have nothing. You just you, you can't do anything for it. You've done your work. I mean, there's it's, the saying it's that a bu- it's a bun in the oven. It's like yeah. it's it's like, literally like birth when it happens, and it's good. And you keep running out to like lift the little cloth or open the door and look at the fermenter and watch the little bubbles. Oh, yeah. Like, that's going to tell you something, but Trans- you feel fixed. good yeah. watching it. Transfixed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, your, your job as a brewer is to make that yeast get a, get a happy home. It's and like a million times better. Brewers make work and yeast make beer. Yeah. And it's a million times better than watching clothes tumble in the dryer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty good. But it tastes better. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's an attachment. You can do your clothes and make beer at the same time. Yeah. Right. So, Chris and Jack, so the last brew we had had, had uh, some interesting spices and ingredients. Um, have you made a, an interesting spice beer yourself? I haven't. I'm not that. It's kind of controversial. It to, yeah, I mean, it I don't. I don't usually. I don't like a lot of a lot of spiced beers, and I try not to to use so much in my thing. I've gotten more into it now because my girlfriend uh, Mary Azette, uh is very into the weird and exotic and very into these spices. So I've you know, so what's what's another example? We had this. this we wild did one. make a. We made a rosemary brown ale for actually Haley and Stevens' wedding recently, and that was really awesome, and it really was really nice. The rosemary danced with the phenolics of of uh, of the the Belgian brown. Sorry, it's a rosemary Belgian brown. So there was a bunch of yeast phenolics coming off, and. Uh, that dance tended to dance really nicely with that rosemary, and that was really, not really nice. It was in a balanced way. It wasn't loud. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that at what point yeah. do you add the uh, rosemary? Uh, we actually, for this, we put it in the fermenter, in the secondary fermenter, we put some rosemary sprigs, and we actually put some rosemary sprigs in the last five minutes of the boil, mm. or maybe the last two minutes of the boil. Um, but we didn't get enough rosemary, and Mary had actually... Um, made a rosemary extract or a tincture uh, with vodka and uh, we threw that into the keg when we when we carbonated it nice and Jackson any interesting spice beers you I had a, I had a disaster with mugwort once <laughs> which I don't care to repeat but uh, now this doesn't what count. is mugwort mugwort is a um, it's an herb that was used uh, a lot for um, flavoring beer uh, I think more so back before hops was 
became and, really and grew dominant. It. Yeah, yeah. And and it's I think probably I used too much. The problem was I used it in place of hops. I used like three ounces of the, of the stuff, and it was terrible. Of course, I was in college, so I drank it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, now, I, I did have another experience, and this is, I don't know if you call this an adjunct or what, but um, not a spice exactly, but... Um, uh, you know, we all know that um, uh, Chardonnay is typically aged in oak barrels to give it that vanilla flavor. Vanilla flavor, and it actually is vanilla in the chemical. Or they put fake oak, oak chips in and yeah, stir or it around. Once upon a time, they would do it in an oak, actual oak cask, and it would leach the vanilla out. Well, um, uh, some years ago, I had a, a massive oak tree in my backyard uh, was pushed down by a sudden storm. It fell on my uh, my house, destroyed the roof. It did about twenty five, thirty thousand dollars worth of damage. And uh, the tree was being cut up, and naturally I thought, what can I do with this thing? You know, I took some of it, and I built, like, some furniture and that sort of thing. But there are all these oak chips all over the place. I thought, these smell really nice. And I'm a real IPA fan. So I thought I, would, I wanted to make, like, a traditional oaky, uh, oaky full-bodied IPA. And I took these, I took these uh, red oak chips that were just real fresh from falling down on my house. And I, I put them in the fermenter, and it was just perfect oak flavor. It was delicious. It was like you know the the, the lily from the, the the puddle. It was something <laughs> awful turned into something that tasted great. Awesome. Hey, we're gonna take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. We'll talk more about where ingredients in your beer on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Cool. Okay, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. A special party is coming up uh, September 9th, members-only party. You can go to heritageradionetwork.org. If you become a member, you get to come to the party, and there's going to be some really great chefs. Gramercy Tavern, Back 40 West, Del Posto, Momo Sushi, a lot of others. There's even champagne I saw. Um, so uh, Perrier Jouet, I think, or someone like that. It's going to be a very cool party out at Roberta's in Brooklyn, and... Um, you should check it out, heritageradionetwork.org. Um, on that note, you know we've, we've been on the air over about two and a half years at Beer Sessions Radio. When we first uh, started, uh, Sam Merritt was one of our regular co-hosts. Since then, he's married and uh, had a baby and moved upstate. So we got him in, in town today. But what's interesting is uh, what Sam's done in the industry. You know, you started out working at Brooklyn Brewery in the old days, working with uh, the Craft Brewers Guild. And uh, you really know a lot of people in this, in this industry. Um, what do you think of, of what's going on in craft beer right now? Is, is, it, is it exciting for you? Is it interesting? Are you just working hard? Well, it's exciting, but I'm a little worried. You know, I think um, there, there's, a, there's some narrow things going on with, with uh, the creativity. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, and, and you're asking me, so I'm giving you my opinion. It doesn't, my opinion doesn't mean anything in this industry. I know how to train people about beer, but I don't really... I'm not one of those sounding off people, but there's too much IPA, bro. There's too much IPA. 
that's and there's going to be too many breweries if we don't take care of what happens with the small breweries um you know 2000 breweries now and 600 in planning is just an influx that uh it's like having triplets you know yeah. in a small house and you didn't expect it you know until recently with the sonograms People didn't even know they were going to have twins, you know, when they were going to... I can see like, having a baby has really influenced so, you. Um, yeah. and, when, and when he talks I, about... I really, everything if it. you know Sam, when he mentions birth or talks about these things, his voice almost breaks up, and I'm like, I want to cry, man. Oh, well, All right. But listen, well, well, Chris, with Wandering Star Brewery, this is, you're doing something different at Wandering Star Brewery. You're, you're not really making IPAs. No, actually, uh, well, we have one IPA that Chris did kicking and screaming, um, because as much as you say there's too many IPAs, it also is... Um, it's still required. very much in demand it's, it's and it is kind of yeah. required and, yeah. and yeah. it's almost like the footprint you know you it's almost like the judgment of of a, of a brewery See, who you are you an opinion well, someone's going to disagree that's it. i don't disagree with it I, no. I don't i'm not i mean i like a good ipa but i and i but i do think there is a plethora of ipas and i'm definitely it has made me uh, more when i go to a store i don't go get ipas anymore because I, i'm interested in other things and i feel like you know okay again an ipa not so much and our ipa uh, is is more of an English style IPA. It's not the American slapping in the face Thunderbolt hops, IPA, right? Thunderbolt IPA. Um, but it's a hybrid. So we're using American hops, and uh, you know it's got a malt backbone of of uh, an English pale ale, and uh, and then we're we're heavily hopping it. Tell us about the summer beer, the USSR. Well, that beer was pretty cool. We really like it. The USSR is we call it the it's the ultimate summer session rye is the is the acronym what that all stands for. And uh, instead of like. Instead of using rye as a base malt, we used uh, rye crystal malt. So we got a re- beautiful reddish hue of it. It's 4.4% alcohol, so it's summer sessionable light, uh, although dark, a little dark and red in color, um, but really light body. And But it gets the spice. It gets a rye spice and breadiness from crystal malt and not from, from base malt. So you get the flavor of the rye without having a really gooky mash that, um, you know, we didn't get a stuck mash. You know, it prevented us from, from any of that. You mean when... when- you're saying the the actual rye, rye itself has a really sticky sugar kind of thing. So when you're when you're mashing with rye as it's a base, similar malt, to what wheat you know, does. Yeah, similar to wheat, absolutely. Harder to filter out. So you can't. Can, can you make a hundred percent rye beer? Absolutely, you can. Well, because it's hard. It's, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. The gauntlet you know, so. has been thrown. And yeah, one can. <laughs> you may, or may it might not. not. It might not even <laughs> might not even be that great. But it's a all right. And another beer you want to tell us about. Well, we, we're speaking of rye, so we're, we're taking it, and we, we really like what it did in the summer. Um, but we're going to do an October, our version of Oktoberfest, and we're calling it, uh, you know, Red October, and it's basically going to be our USSR on steroids. Uh, so the USSR is a summer session beer, four point four. The the uh, the Red October is going to be probably six point five, and I think we are going to lager it. We're going to use pretty much. A, a, a so it's still going to be rye so. rye based. Yep, it's going to be a rye so what's, Oktoberfest. What's, what's different? How you make it from? Go from four point four percent to six point five percent. We're gonna different? have we're gonna have a higher. We're gonna have use more malt um, to get more more fermentable sugars. Um, it's gonna be a thicker beer, bigger in body. Uh, we're still gonna use rye crystal malt to, for, for in, the, in the same way that we did with the USSR. So I understand. So using just rye versus rye crystal malt. What's the difference? Like even when you buy it, does it look different? So a base malt or a, uh, is a a malt that's been kilned. At a lower temperature for for a decent amount of time uh, to stop all the all the growth uh, of the starches. Um, dried, dried, yeah. But if you kiln barley at higher temperatures, um, you'll get you'll get less fermentable sugars, um, but you'll get you'll get body and residual sugars. 
unfermentable sugars, maltodextrins, which gives the, they don't have a flavor, but they are sugars, and they give the beer this sort of bigger body, which gives you a sweetness yeah, in perception, too. And then why does it call it crystal malt? What, what makes it crystal malt instead of malt? Is that what you just said? It, 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 it mashes a bit inside the husk. I believe when it's when it's uh, roasted, so there's still a lot more moisture to it when it's heated, and uh, it converts uh, some sugars that the yeast can't get to. Okay, it does. <laughs> yes, I love this this <laughs> show because <laughs> I love when I'm stumped and I'm I appreciate it. Yeah. So the the beer we were just drinking was the the Hugamont from uh, Omegang. Oh yeah. Um, so who, who wants to tell us about this beer? Because this is pretty interesting. You we had it at the, the Belgian Comes at Cooperstown Festival. The Veya Mia. Wait, wait, no, but we'll oh. just go back to the one we had before oh. that. The, back the, to the, yeah. the, the, the Hugamont the, beer. Yeah, the Hugamont. Uh, yeah, so Beer de Guard, um, you know, it's it's really, uh, it's very spritzy. Uh, usually those Beer de Guards on the French side get a little bit more malty and soft, but this one's pretty um, sort of... Uh, you know, jumping over the border a little bit to the Belgian saison, but um, I get a little bit of the wood in it. Did, much, did you like the Hugamont, Jackson? I, I like it. It's 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 uh, aggressive in a kind of Belgian way. Is this uh, what Cara Munich malt? What what am I tasting here, malt wise? Yeah, it seems like yeah. yeah. Which is like you know a caramel, you know, sort of a, a bready sweet. Sam, I mean, you, you're really an expert taster, and you know, you're a big guy in Cicerone program. I mean, can you just taste malts, different malts, when you're drinking beer? Yeah, and hops, you know. But uh, it's it, it, the tasting is, you know, it's it's pretty technical. You know, it's like it's important to be able to to nail those. Um, but uh, it's only you know a third of those master tests. The rest is um, you know knowing the other stuff. So it gets difficult. But um, it. You know, if you're trying to show off for your friends and you, you know, they make a homebrew and they bring it over and you say, oh, you use this, you know, hop in it, <laughs> you know, big deal, you know, <laughs> so I can right. smell a hop. I smell it a bunch of times, you know. Right. So I, you I know. have a question. I have a vocabulary question and it came up in conversation mm-hmm. recently. What do you think about the word dank as a descriptor? Oh, I saw <laughs> that. Well, my, <laughs> I had a cousin from, from, uh, from out west and they had come out east to and my wife made a giant thing of ziti because that's what they do from long island when there's a bunch of family around so you mean, all, pa- you mean pasta yeah so they all <laughs> sorry so they all eat this thing for four days and i could tell they all love it. they kept reheating it all this and and so she puts on facebook oh that pasta was so dank you know and i got all i got all mad because <laughs> I, I thought dank was like a, a musty you know um basement cellar like thing which is not how i would describe my wife's pasta at all (laughs) you know so so dank you know you know i think it's an herb term uh and i mean marijuana so if you have very dank marijuana you know it's very pungent and uh it's gonna be still giving off its uh essential oils by oxidation and giving you all those essential oils so it's gonna smell and uh, i think dank you know especially when it comes to the marijuana and the hop connection you're going to get those oily, pungent smells off of the the wetter hops as it, it well. It makes the sense. The two plants fruit, are. I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, those two plants are very closely related. They're both in the cannabis uh, family, yeah. both hops and, um, and and cannabis sativa. So yeah, I mean, as a descriptive term for you know like really heady hops to have that in a beer, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's a useful part of the beer vocabulary. 
I well, I agree here, but I mean, in that in the conversation that I had, it was, it was at a dinner table, and it, it was stemmed from the what you yeah. you know came from that. But uh, you know, half of the half of the crowd still related it to being a dark, dingy basement and uh. didn't make that connection. So to have it be a valid, I mean, I think that you know, I brought it up because we were talking about you and and uh, you know and tasting and being able to pinpoint and nail yeah. things is an important thing. But I think that having a beer vocabulary and, and a, some sort of standardization in that in that way is important. And this is one of those areas where it means different things to different people. But I think it's totally valid on both sides. <laughs> yeah. So you can't just use the word dank. You'd have to say dank like a basement or dank like yeah. like, or good, like, yeah. like, you know, the, like yeah. a forest floor after the rain. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's about I, I just read a thing in NPR how. Yeah. There's about 18 different smells that are related to what happens when it rains. Before the rain, after yeah. the rain, when things are drying out, or if it's sunny and it stopped raining, or, you know, all the all of the above. And, you know, some of it's wet earth, some of it's, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, things growing right away. And uh, as a hunter and an outdoors person, you know that there's so many different relationships to just that one thing, rain. Oh, yeah. It's, it's similar, yeah. you know. And, and so dank can mean, you know... Uh, a great smell to somebody. I'll you tell know. you what, we just went from dank to bright to the, yeah. the next beer as well. <laughs> so the Via Emilia, right? So the Via Emilia from Italy here, uh, they say, well, it won the World Beer Cup uh, for Keller beer, which is, uh, you know, a, a, a rustic uh, style of A little of brighter, lager. Yeah. And it's very dry, um, and it's very hoppy. It's very similar to sort of Pilsner. There's still a little breadiness to it, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 And, and what do you uh, think, Jackson? We're gonna, before we sign off, what do you think? This well, one. this beer, I'm I'm thinking, you know, the taste reminds me of like freshly cut hay. Yeah, you right. Know, hay and straw. It's, mm-hmm. That's I that's agree. what I'm getting here. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a, there's there's a number of really great um, small breweries in in Italy, and uh, our friends at Be United import them. This is one of them, Via Emilia. So, hey, let's take another short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, it's a good little palate cleanser. Stitcher? Heritage Radio Network is on it, so get it. Stitcher is an award-winning provider of news and talk radio for your mobile phone. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal, and we're here uh, in studio with Jackson Landers, the author of Eating Aliens, Sam Merritt from Civilization and Beer, and Chris Cusme from Wandering Star. So, Jackson, let's talk about your book a little bit. Um, yeah. Eating aliens. Uh, before today, you had talked about bringing in an invasive Japanese hop that you were going to make a homebrew with. You didn't get to do that. They uh, weren't ready yet. So tell us about that. Tell us about the hop and, and uh, things that we might find in this this part of the country uh, that we could possibly brew beer with. Yeah, there's um, 
there's a, a variety of hops, uh, Humulus uh, japonicus, uh, I believe, that was brought to the U.S. It was actually for uh, primarily for erosion control. They thought they could plant it by the side of the road and it would re- do really good at holding hillsides back. And it kind of went crazy. And you will find this stuff by a lot of rivers, actually. You'll find it right by the water, usually. And it'll, it'll usually be sort of a monoculture where it's just growing all over the place and there's nothing much coming up in the middle of it. And it's been dismissed in the past as useless for brewing. But it's been a long time since I can I can tell that anyone actually tried doing anything with it. It does not have significant amounts of alpha or beta acids, uh, so it's not going to be a good bittering hop. But you know I've picked this stuff and I've made I've made tea with it and I've done other things with it. And it has a really nice aroma. I think it's definitely got potential as um, you know as an aromatic and flavor and finishing hop. You know something as a home brewer that I would put in in the last you know ten or eight minutes of the boil or so. I think it's definitely got potential, and it's one of these things where when you you look it up on the internet it just says there's no utility in brewing but there's no reference to hey who tried it you know and 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 i found that a lot when i was working on my book eating aliens i found all kinds of species that um you know uh, of fish that american fishermen say well you can't eat carp oh they're inedible you know they're too bony they're too tough they taste foul and i went and you know killed some and ate it and it was really good tasted like cod it was great you know i find that a lot when you have common wisdom that says something in the wild isn't worth eating but you can't find anyone who's actually done it. You know, maybe it's time to go and try and do something with that. Well, a lot of people. I think it's come that time with hops. A lot of people that make something that you could eat or drink say that what they make and is good, and yeah. then you assume that everything else is bad. And maybe it's just different. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Can you tell me about Chinese mystery snails? Your final chapter. Oh yeah, these guys are. Um, <laughs> they use them a lot in koi. And can I get some? Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring them up. No, I'm coming. Stop. Go back to beer. We're talking about. Okay, so ja- these invasive Japanese hops would they, would they grow around here in the New York re- region, or are they more yeah, in the I south? Th- they're they're more of them in the south, but you will find them. There are, there are. I couldn't point you to a specific place to go right here, and I wouldn't do it on the radio anyway because you're gonna have 200 people in one spot. But uh, you will find them growing by water. I would encourage you to go up and you know Google what hops look like, and uh, and and if you walk around but by, they, they the look water, like look like other hops. Yeah, exactly. They similar, yeah. They, similar appearance. Yeah, it, it, the the flowers are shaped a, a little bit differently. The leaves look pretty much the same. And I've grown hops myself. Also, I've grown I've grown a couple different varieties of hops, um, of you know conventional hops, and they do look a lot alike. The cones are a little bit different. The cones, the, the each individual flower is definitely smaller, and they don't have the same uh, you know visible orange or yellow glands on them. They they do have some of the glands, but they're very small. Uh, and I think there's potential as a finishing hop there. I think homebrewers need to start experimenting with them. We had on uh, one time we talked to the Fisher Brothers, who uh, they have a great book, The Homebrewer's Garden, and they talked mm-hmm. about using everything from dandelions to other, you know, home garden ingredients in, in place of hops or in addition to. Uh, Chris, have you worked with any other uh, unusual, uh, you know, finishing hops or other herbs or spices? In place of hops, I have not. I mean, you know, there's the tradition of using chamomile uh, in addition to or fully replacing coriander and Belgian wits, and I've done Mm -hmm. that with great success, especially using uh, spalts or or a good German hop, actually, in those, and I've had a lot of really great wits come out of that. Um, Outside of that, I've not made a spiced beer. Like I said, I've never been that into spiced things until now. Recently, Mary and I did make a a mead where we used... um, some pepper we used strawberry and pe- strawberry and black peppercorn um, th- which was awesome and uh, the way the way the strawberry danced with the peppers I mean I really enjoyed that and I would like to incorporate that into a beer I just haven't figured out what sort of base beer just yet um, 
the, I was thinking strawberry pepovice. Just not, just not an IPA, right? <laughs> I love it. That's great. Yeah, you know, and and going back to sort of that comment about you know everybody's got an IPA and everything. You can balance sweet with sour, and you can like you know strawberry rhubarb pie is a perfect you know tart and sweet thing, and so getting into more of the as we say non-traditional the hops only been around you know a thousand years or so but getting back to the real traditional ingredients um you know is kind of a really that's to me and a very exciting side of it um is to say well you know if it's growing around where you live then that's what people were using to flavor whatever they were eating or drinking historically and so that's kind of neat it's like oh okay well it's that time of year again so let's go get it Cool. What do you think of this beer? So this is the Wandering Star Mild at Heart, which I like a lot. Uh, you are well. I could talk about it all day. Yeah, yeah. tell us. Well, you're, you're the guy. So, uh, think, what is it? It's like, it's like a roasty. Earlier today, it's a we dark were, beer. Uh, it's a it's a four point four percent English dark mild. So it's on the on the far extreme dark side of the mild. So I mean, you know, it's a uh, it's not quite open. It's sometimes opaque. It's opaque right now at the moment. Um, but it's I'll get a roasty. Roast. I'll get a it's like a, yeah. real chocolate notes yeah. on the on yeah. the sides of my tongue on the edge of the palate. Yeah. There. Yeah. but it's really light and alcohol. Light it chocolate. has the flavors of of a you know imperial stout if you wanted to go there, mm-hmm. but without the alcohol content. I think that it's extreme flavor without extreme alcohol. And I really I I think you were talking about how we do things a little different over here. Uh, this is I think this is our defining beer, and this is kind of what I did, we identify what identifies us. I mean, I'm the most proudest. I'm the most proud of this of this beer in particular. It's quite um, understated. <laughs> it's like an really imperial stout without the imperial. Mm. Yeah. And remember, if you, uh, when Kelso first started, they made their chocolate lager. It's yeah. a similar thing, right? Whether it's it's a, it's a darker malt, it's a darker but it's, malt. it's still a sessionable. We have a lot of chocolate malt in this. Uh, some roasted barley and, uh, and uh, yeah, sessionable. I could four, drink a couple pints of this. Yeah, yeah, and it's amazing with barbecue. It really like the the it it really dances with uh, with with the. Melanoid, or with the melanoids. You know, I'm, 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 sorry, I'm a big the, the fan of like dark beers in summer. I, I really think that there's a lot of great, you know, dunkel lagers. There's there's so many styles that to me have dark color but are refreshing and, and go well with food. Sam, a- any any styles or, or particular beers that come to mind? Well, you know, the the black lagers, the short beers are great. You know, mm-hmm. and and a, and a nice cold, um, you know, um, black lager seems to do wonders, and and so. You know, I think the main thing that uh, palate-wise that I avoid is is big sweetness. You know, in the summer and and tend towards more acidity. And uh, most of the the darker beers are going to give you acidity, not through the hop, but through their roast, and that's a nice thing. And and so if you can get past, uh, you know, like you know, drink cup hot cup of coffee on the beach, you know, it's not the same thing. It's uh, you can you can chill it down and everything, and drink it in the dark and. And we're just doing fine with it here. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, I really do. Like, I like this one a lot. Thank the you very much. Heart, wandering really, Star. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I'm very proud of it. Yeah. We really love it. A little bit it. of I coffee love, in the aftertaste, actually. Yeah. A little coffee yeah, in there. Yeah. It has all those those elements. So it's funny. amazing. But, but it's, it's a dark it's a dark mild. And mild is mm-hmm. such a wide, wide category. Yeah. I mean, dark dark milds and light milds. They're and, not, and they're not overly anything. It's right. hard to nail something that's not overly anything. You have to fit all these different things in subtly, and that's what right. that does. And so it's like the it's like that middle sip of, you know, your iced coffee during a hot day. You know, it's like, oh, okay. It's refreshing me. Doing all kinds of things, but it's not knocking me over that. So, right. what is it? The process of, of, of making this this flavor is really coming from the malt. It's like I used to make a lot of gumbo. You'd start with a roux. It's just the flour and the fat, and a little more color you gave it. If you did it right, there was a lot more flavor. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the same thing with malts, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. yeah and, do, yeah. and do you guys buy these? Um, just where do, you, where do you buy your malts? Uh, we get we use all mostly English malts, all English malts, Maris Otter, and and uh, we get them all from not Bryce, uh, uh, Muntins. Some mm-hmm. malt guys. I don't remember. I don't <laughs> the malters, so there's guys selling malts. The, honest, the, the malsters make the brew. The brewsters make the brew. Yeah, exactly. That's why I like talking to home brewers, and I, and I like talking about like local ingredients because I know that you know there's these ingredients for beer. You get water, you get your malt, your hops, and other things. But it's cool to supplement it with things that Thomas can be Fawcett. grown locally. You know, mm-hmm. um, anything, uh, Jackson. Anything else besides the invasive Japanese hops that you would make a beer with that you've seen in your, you know, what, what are you doing? Is you're not a forager? You're like a a wilder or something. I think he's like a, a, a some sort of assassin. But he, yeah, he's like an er- <laughs> well said, yeah. he's like an eradicator. <laughs> but he eats them, so he's like almost like so when, 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 Godzilla when you, or something. One time we did a demo at, at Jimmy's Number Forty Three. You, you told people how to hunt and, and clean and I do. I the teach deer. Be- yeah. So um, what you know, you're hunting venison. What kind of beer would you drink? Oh, with uh, with venison, I like something. Um, I, I, I usually want something kind of dark with uh, with a lot of body to it. You know, with uh, with with venison, it's a rich red meat. It's like beef. With less fat and more flavor in it, um, a- actually, you know what would pair it's very less, well with it's venison? less sweet, isn't it? Venison than, than mm, um, it's 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 less of the beef flavor. Uh, okay. It's um, it, it can uh, venison can be kind of sweet actually. Right. Um, it depends on what it's been eating, uh, especially if, if you get uh, deer that have been uh, you know gorging on a, an apple orchard for a little while. They're going to be more sweeter. Actually, this last beer that we're tasting, the um, uh, th- that uh, the dark session ale, the mild at heart. Yeah, Wondering the mild star, at yeah. heart. Th- that would do very. I think that would pair very well with venison. I was thinking that too, Sam. Any other suggestions for pairing with venison? We always have to ask how it's prepared, you know, and what you put yeah, on it, because yeah. uh, that's you know you can really manipulate food. So, so let's say we're talking, we're just talking um, uh, venison um, uh, medallions from a backstrap that have just been pan seared with a little bit of uh, you know thyme and, yeah. and, and butter, served very simply, you know, rare without a whole lot of other flavors cluttering it up. I would say you know either Vienna lager or maybe uh, just a, a regular. A regular Bach. Um, for some reason, for my palate, I've always gotten sort of a less fat uh, with the venison, so therefore less sweetness for, for my yeah, uh, experience. So I'm like, I want to, I want to add sweetness uh, to venison. Um, I've always had onions with venison. Yeah. Uh, when I just cook it up, and it seems like. I'm doing that because I want that sweetness that to caramelized go. Yeah, the sugar caramelized, there, yeah, yeah, that sugariness. So that's where I, I would with crave. a lot of gamey meats. Well, yeah. you know, venison only tastes gamey if it was um, butchered sloppily. I mean, if you handled beef the way that yeah. most, a lot of people handle venison, it would taste gamey too. Game, you think of all different species. People say it tastes gamey. There's, oh, wild goose is gamey. Rabbit is gamey. Uh, wild turkey is gamey. You know, all the only thing that these different species have in common is sloppy DIY butchering. You know, mm. across the evolutionary spectrum there, and when it's when it's handled very quickly, you're saying that my friend with a quickly the f- and, and, and hundred pounds gently. of deer in his <laughs> freezer, you don't really want to cook that unless you know how they. Well, cut you it. know, he he maybe your friend did a, did a good job with it. Well, that's um, a big part it, of how it's going to taste. You want it, you want that deer butchered quickly and cooled down and and processed fast. Uh, on that's the note of want. cooking, uh, a really good chef I see on the cover of your book, Eating Aliens, our friend Matthew Weingarten. Uh, his executive chef at Insides 
Park at St. Bart's. He has a quote on the cover, and this guy's an awesome outdoor oh, yeah? cook. He's, yeah. he's done a lot of like overnight pig roasts. Really respect him. He says, grab your shotgun and your frying pan, and let eating aliens be your guide to becoming the ultimate invasivore. <laughs> yeah, I did a dinner. Uh, Matthew and I, actually, we, we did a dinner together uh, a couple months ago, actually, um, you know, here in, um, in, in uh, Manhattan, uh, where um, I, I brought a bunch of stuff up, some uh, Chinese mystery snails up that I had picked up, and we got some, um, uh, we, we got some wild pig. And we got some um, snakehead fish and a bunch of other stuff and some lionfish. And we did a, a press dinner together because he's got a book actually coming about uh, coming out about uh, preserving wild foods. And so we did this thing together. We cooked together. Uh, he's a fantastic chef. His food's great. His book's great. Uh, real good guy, Matthew. Awesome. We love him. Okay, last thing. So hunting wild pigs. Yeah. What do you do? How do you do it? How do I do it? The way yeah. that I do it isn't necessarily the way that anyone else should do it. Uh, as, as I talk about in the book, I've hunted them a lot of different ways, usually based on restrictions someone else has put on me. The craziest way I've ever had to hunt them was uh, I was in Texas uh, for a while, and I had a, a week or so where the only way that I had to hunt them was said, you can hunt them, but uh, we don't want you discharging a firearm. And I didn't have a bow, so I was chasing them on foot with a knife, actually. Oh, right. Yeah, that was a little different. Um, <laughs> and then what do you drink with? What's the last beer that you just poured, Chris? Brasserie uh, Du Du Ciel from Montreal. Corner Du Du Corner Du Du That's a American style IPA. It's like to me, yeah, this is like a reddish dark IPA. Yeah, mm, nice. but yeah, this yeah. would go well with the pig, I think. The wild pig. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you have a favorite pairing for wild pig, freshly killed? Oh boy, uh, pork is so flexible. Um, it, it, it it is. Um, I for, you know for uh, fresh pork, I usually want something. A, a pale ale actually be really good. A real simple pale ale, not an IPA, but a pale ale that's going to get along with it, or like a maybe a, a British session ale is going to get. A, I mean, it's a it's usually pretty light meat, depending on. Uh, and, but with wild pig, though, you're going to get a lot more variation in flavor than yeah. you do with commercially bought pig. Cause it depends it's gonna, on where they are and, and how much fat is on them. That's right. Yeah, I mean, and, and what they've been eating. Uh, you know, wild pig that you get in the in the autumn, and you know, if you get if you get a pig in November or so when they've been eating acorns for the last you know month or so you know that's going to be like iberian ham and iberian ham is world famous and part of what gives it that flavor is they're actually they're let they're allowed to run pretty much sort of wild over very large spaces and they're finished on acorns and that's what gives a world famous iberian ham its its flavor and then also the way that they handle it, of course. But uh, so if you get a, 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 pig, a wild pig in the fall after it's engorging on, on acorns, it's going to be a lot like Iberian ham. On the other hand, if you take a pig that's been you know disrupting things going on in an orchard for the last month, it's going to be it's going to have those apples that are influencing the flavor. So you've got a lot of regional variation in the flavor of wild pork. Uh, that that you just don't find uh, uh, anything like that in commercial pork. Wow. Well, that, that, that brings us to be uh, some that. events coming up. We've got uh, this weekend, it's uh, Pig Island, pigisland.com. Um, tickets are almost sold out, but we're very proud to be producing that again for the third year. And uh, there's pigs from five different local farmers and 25 chefs. Also coming up uh, September 8th at the Rockaways, it's uh, Beer Sessions Radio with Edible Queens and the guys from Roberta's. It's Barrels and Kegs at Rockaway Beach. Uh, go to goodbeerseal.com. There's over 20 breweries, including Wandering Star, Greenport Harbor, Six Point, and Barrier Brewing in, our, in the newest uh, Rockaway Brewing. September 9th, again, check it out. Heritage Radio Network. Become a member and come to our party September 9th at heritageradionetwork.org.
And uh, Market Calendar is also Village Voice. This is the fall preview issue, so there's a lot of events coming up. Uh, the Village Voice's second annual Brooklyn Poor event, October 6th. So go to goodbrewsteel.com for more information. This has been a really great show. Jackson Landers, we're buddies. Um, a few years ago, he did a slow food dinner. I uh, told you how to hunt and, and clean and cook venison. Sam Merritt, back in New York. He's got a baby, and uh, Civilization Beer is has some great events going on if you want to learn about beer. Chris Kuzme, uh, more than ever, he's running <laughs> home brewer events and uh, working with Wandering Star Brewery. So all these great people here on Beer Session. I love you guys. I'll make a Thanks, toast Jimmy. on there. Cheers. Let's, cheers. Let's, uh, cheers. Cheers. That's all right. Cheers. So thanks to our brewer. <laughs> Gosh, we're back. We spent the, the, most <laughs> of the summer at uh, Ombagang uh, Brewery. Belgium comes to Cooperstown, it seems like. We did a couple shows up there, and we're back. And uh, you know what? It's a great place to go. Uh, Cooperstown is a beautiful town. It's great to go in the summer. And we'll be back there next year. And you should join us uh, every summer up there. Uh, BCTC, they call it. Isn't that cool? The acronym is BCTC, GABF, all this fun stuff. All these acronyms. USSR. Yeah, no, I don't want to get off the air, man. This is the best show ever. You know, and what was the last beer we had? Corny du Diable. Or the Diable. Hey, and try this too. If you're doing Twitter, it's at beer underscore search. All right, so thanks for our sponsors, greatbrewers.com. Thank you so much, and we really love you guys. And we'll be signing off. Thanks to everybody. Joe and Aaron and Bree, our producer, and Jack Inslee. And thanks again to Jackson, Sam, Chris for joining me here. Jimmy Carboni, Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Cheers. Cheers. This little song is more to the point Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears I like beer It makes me a jolly good fellow Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. My wife often frowns when we're out on the town And I'm wearing a suit and a tie She's sipping vermouth HeritageRadioNetwork.org is the most trusted media outlet for real, quality conversations about food. That experience will come to life at our first annual members-only fundraiser party on September 9th from 5 to 8 p.m. at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Enjoy the best food in the world. From talent including Michael Anthony, award-winning chef from Gramercy Tavern, Brooks Headley, award-winning pastry chef from Del Posto, Shauna Pacifico at Back 40 West, sustainable seafood from sea to table, and much more, including drinks made by Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues, craft beer from Greenpoint Harbor Brewery, wine from Cane Vineyard and Winery in the Napa Valley, and plenty more. Radio is back, and this will be a special, exclusive experience in the back garden of Roberta's that you don't want to miss. September 9th, 5 to 8 p.m. Buy tickets at heritageradionetwork.eventbrite.com.